And there's a quick overarching point I want to make, and that's quality versus price. And so often, everybody runs after the, the best and the hottest asset. And they don't consider, what is the quality relative to the price? Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? My name is Mason McDonald with RM Golden, and I've got Dan Habercast with Front Range Land. And today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dan. And we are going to be talking about new construction. Dan, how are you doing? Great, Mason, man. How, how are you? I can't complain. Uh, making money, closing deals every day, every day. So, uh, Dan and I are both in the land business. That's both of our active businesses where we buy land for cheap and sell it for more, you know, whether with cash or owner financing. And um, something that Dan does in a model that he's really created and has systematized and done a great job over the past handful of years is building spec homes on some of the land that he ends up purchasing. So that's what we're going to walk through today because I think a lot of people are intimidated by the actual process of building a home. You know, for most people that are getting into real estate, they're looking at fixer uppers, uh, you know, or they're looking at turnkey properties, but might not be looking at doing a new development. And a lot of what goes into a new development for a single family home is very similar for small multifamily and larger multifamily, depending on the land. But Dan, today, I think what would make the most sense is talking about from the moment you get a piece of land under contract that you think is a great opportunity to build a spec home on all the way up to whenever you sell it on the market. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, there's a couple things I wanted to say up front in response to everything you just mentioned. And one of those is it's interesting. People are really intimidated by the idea of new construction. I've heard this so many times. Isn't, isn't new construction risky? Well, it's like anything else. It's risky if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not setting it upright, if you're not capitalized correctly. And in fact, having done this for years and actually having some friends that have both flipping and new construction businesses, I would much rather build new than go and flip homes. You have no idea what you're going to find uh, as you start to tear apart a house that needs rehabbed. Whereas with new construction, you're just building the same simple box every time. So that I've always found strange, and I think it's just a lack of education around it. And then another caveat I want to make is that in everything that I do, I am working simply to be the orchestrator and the bank, right? I want to move the chess pieces around. And so I am not the expert on every little detail of, of the home of new construction. I don't remember the R factor on the insulation. What I do know is how to, to find the people that do and put them in place along with the capital and land. And so we're going to go through a high-level overview of doing that. I'm not going to tell you all the fine points of building a home. I love it. I love it. And it resonates with me. I'm in the middle of a renovation right now on a big property. And uh, just as everyone can experience, we are uh, behind on schedule and we're over on budget. And it is exactly because of that. You know, whenever you get an inspection done, you know, they're only going to find so much out about the property. You only can really figure out what's going on when you dig into it. And this was a gut rehab project. And they found all sorts of stuff that, um, you know, we didn't expect or anticipate. And you don't run into that whenever you're doing um, a ground up development. And that that's what I love about it. And you hit on the exact point of, you know, think about it. 
Uh, I think a lot of people would think that new construction could be more expensive than going out and buying a home. And in some markets that is, uh, but whenever you are getting these wholesale prices from these builders and, you know, have a good relationship with a general contractor and a bank or, you know, financing it yourself, um, you're able to save so much money. I mean, think about what, you know, so many, you know, Amazon businesses are doing. They're taking products, you know, potentially from China that are costing them 10 cents a unit and they're selling it for $10 a unit. And that's something you can do whenever you're doing new construction and new builds, right? So let's, let's jump into it. What type of land are you looking at whenever you're looking to build a spec house and maybe tell the listeners what a spec house is? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of things I want to say there, I'm working on bookmarking each, so I don't miss anything. Spec home, uh, speculation, you're building a new home that's unsold with the intent to sell it for a profit. And that is one way to do it. I've done many pre-sales as well, which we can get into that. But let's just start with the type of land and, and how I know a lot would work well for new construction. And so an important uh, distinction to make here is I'm not dealing with raw land. This word drives me nuts because I heard it used wrong all the time. So I deal with infill lots, and that means that all the horizontal developments are already done. There are utilities, streets, roads, entitlements. I can go just buy it and get a permit quickly and, and put a new house up. I don't have to extend utility lines or go through any complex process with the city because all of that is done. You know, easy example, you know, if you're walking down a street and there's houses and houses and then in between two houses is one lot, that's the type of land I go after, and especially for new construction. So important distinction, because if you are doing the work to take a raw piece of land and get it to the point of being entitled and, and shovel ready really is the word that is often used or term. Uh, that's a big process. And we're not going to talk about that here today. That would be its own podcast in and of itself. So important distinction I wanted to start off with. And clarifying, what's horizontal development? Everything, streets, roads, utilities. Um, you know, if you have just a completely raw piece of land, right? A big tract and you want to turn that into a subdivision where uh you know here you can build multifamily here you can build commercial here you can build single family that is a process you have to go through with the city or county depending on where you are and you have to hire uh, uh, civil engineers architects to get those entitlements to be able to do that to get this the plat right the the subdivision recorded and then actually created in actuality as far as digging and, and putting in the streets and utilities and so on and so forth. So that that's a huge process. Most people hear the word development and they think vertical construction. No, development is more the taking of raw land and turning it into the product, the shovel-ready lots that are for builders to put the, or excuse me, vertical construction, which is the actual home or apartment or commercial building on, right? So those are things that often get confused. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people will just say, you know, and me included when I first got started in, in the land businesses, you know, I'm, I'm buying raw, vacant residential land. And I think, you know, you say those terms and you hear those terms and you think you know what you're saying, but you don't quite actually know what you're saying. And so, I mean, it, it's enlightening always to be able to hear, oh, crap, I've been, you know, miss, uh, you know, misrepresenting what I actually do in business or, you know, I used to. 
and um, being able to clarify and use the appropriate language, I think it's going to help you in the long run across the board because whenever you're going to, whether it be a developer or a builder, you're able to actually use the appropriate language that knows, lets them know that you know what you're talking about because you misspeaking makes you look incompetent. So we're looking for uh, a piece of land that is all the horizontal is done. Yeah. You know, it's a shovel ready lot already potentially in a subdivision that you're ready to get started going. What's next? Yeah. So perfect example. There's one on Wiggins Drive I'm looking at right now in, in Pueblo West, Colorado, which is where I've mainly built most of my homes over the years. And the topography is perfectly flat. It's a quarter acre, nice properties on both sides. A small caveat here, something people don't think about is well, which side of the street are the water and sewer lines on? If they're on the other side of the street, you have to bore under the street, which is going to add a couple thousand bucks. Just a small detail, but these little things matter, right? How far are the power poles? Do they already run along the back or is it buried in the back? Do you have to extend? Right? All these things add cost. And so this specific lot on Wiggins, water and sewer line are on that side of the street along with natural gas. The power is running underground right in the back of the lot. There will be quite literally no cost for extending anything. Uh, the topography is flat. It's in a section of town where uh, soil, I've never seen it be an issue. You know, it's usually quite obvious. And this is going to vary from market to market. But in that specific market, shale is a big problem where it's just really hard to excavate if there's a ton of shale. And there's usually evidence of that where you see it in the neighbor's yard and on the surface. And it's not perfect perfect uh predictor but generally it's pretty accurate and there's none of that it looks soft it looks to be softer uh so everything about this lot says the building process should be very very easy so even beyond just having a shovel ready lot you know topography where the sewer water lines are electric all that is important to check because it will save you money in the long run uh, or in the building process well, and, and you hit on so many costs that if you're not familiar with it, you're not going to actually know to factor that into your pro forma whenever you're, you're creating, you know, what your anticipated return is. And, you know, hearing all that, how often is it that, you know, if you get a quote from a, a general contractor or a builder, you know, a soft quote rather than, you know, them actually going and seeing the property, they're going to give you what their building cost per square feet is rather than potentially some of these additional fees that come in. Yep. Um, so I, I, I think you hit on a, a couple points that I want you to dive a little deeper in. If you're talking about the soil, you know, what's a perk test? Oh, a percolation test is what's that short for. So, okay, I've heard this word used generically all over the country in different markets I'm in. And so just as an example, people use this word all the time in North Carolina where I'm doing business. But it's not really the right word for that market. They do a site evaluation. There's more involved. They will specifically tell you, no, at the county, it's not a perk test. It's a site evaluation. And they can explain the differences. But in general, what a perk test was originally was just a percolation test where they drill holes and see how the water percolates down through the soil to see if it will allow a septic system to be installed. That's the idea of a perk test. And this is going to vary as far as the county requirements, depending on where you go. So in that market in North Carolina, I was just referencing, if you fail the site evaluation, you cannot build, assuming there's no sewer line because you can't put a septic in. Whereas in the, uh, the lot I was just referencing in Pueblo West, Colorado, there's no failing of soils test. It's just 
gets more expensive to do the septic. Uh, so it varies from place to place what the county requirements are, but quite simply, a percolation test is a way of testing if the soil will allow for a septic. Makes so much sense. So you don't have to worry about it whenever uh, there's already a sewer line, but you still need to worry about the soil because that's going to affect your building costs and um, everything associated associated with that. Sure. So we, we've we talked about the lot that we're looking for where there, the horizontal development is done. And we have to make sure that whenever there are utilities um, that are already extended to the lot, that um, they're on the right side of the street, uh, you know, that we factor in any costs associated with potentially moving them closer or bringing electric closer. What's next? Well, another thing to talk about is getting the permit. All right, so let's say I buy this lot on Wiggins that I'm referencing and everything checks out. Well, you have to go through a process with the uh, building department and sometimes other uh, government agencies. So down in Pueblo, for example, there's Pueblo Regional Building Department, which is what will ultimately issue the permit. But we also have to go through architectural committee at the metro district for that specific municipality. So that varies from place to place. But the main point I want to make there is this is a huge part of why I build down there. I don't know if you've talked to many people who build up here in Colorado Springs, but they're spending tens of thousands of dollars to get a build up and going. In Pueblo, the rules are so simple. I pay $450 for the floor plan. I pay $1,000 for the engineer to go out and do the physical soils test and to create a foundation plan given the soil. And then the trust company just default along with the cost of the trusses does the engineering on them. And so I am paying for plans in totality, including the physical soil test, $1,450. And then I pay $450 or $500 for a survey. So anybody who has any experience with building, they almost don't believe you when you tell them this. When they're building you know, up here in the Springs or in Denver, you know, it's an order of magnitude more expensive to get those things done up in some of these more major markets. Um, so my contractor, and we're going to talk about this. I don't want to get off, off track. My contractor then takes the plans, which include a plot plan, which just shows the house on that specific lot with the setbacks and the dimensions of the lot, the plans, the engineering plan. And he goes through architectural committee at uh, Pueblo West Metro. And then he goes to Pueblo Regional Building Department. He's got to get sign-offs from different, uh, you know, the fire station uh, or the fire right, uh, along with uh, electric provider, Pueblo West Metro for water and sewer. Point being, without getting too into the weeds, which I already am, is it's about another thousand-ish or $900 to get the permit, and it takes a couple weeks, a few weeks. And again, any anybody who has built before is thinking, no way, there's no way. So a few thousand dollars, and you know, call it a month. Let's say he's moving slow, a month to get a building permit. That's crazy cheap and easy. So, and, and, and just to clarify, you own the land at this point. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. So you're, you're not going to be doing all this work before you purchase the land. Mm -hmm. And whether you're, you're like Dan and myself, where you purchase land off market or you're purchasing on market, if your expected costs are going to be in line, all that stuff that we talked about before in terms of determining, you know, where the access to utilities are, that's going to be done in the due diligence period before you actually purchase your land. Yep. So... I love that. I love how affordable it is to build down there. 
you know, and that makes every cost savings that you can have. So where you can put more money into the actual quality of the product rather than the, you know, the permits and the, all the bureaucracy that you need to, to get stuff done is so much better. So, you know, at this point in time, you've got the plans, you've got everything approved. Uh, what's next? Well, you get your permit. And there's a quick overarching point I want to make, and that's quality versus price. And so often, everybody runs after the, the best and the hottest asset. And they don't consider, well, what is the quality relative to the price? And I remember when I moved here in 2018, shortly thereafter, I met uh, the friend that you're aware of who taught me how to build. And uh, I remember Pueblo, why, why are you building down there, right? doesn't have a great reputation from Coloradans. Uh, and he kind of chuckles and he goes, cause at the time you could do this. Well, I, I buy lots for two to 3000 and, uh, you know, permitting takes a couple weeks and about another thousand or 2000 bucks. Cause again, everything was even cheaper then. And I can build a house that sells at about two fifty for one seventy all in. That's why. Oh, okay. And so the, the point being everybody so many people were up in Colorado Springs and Denver and going through the massive pain in the ass that it is to build up here, right? Just to get your permit. And they're not realizing that down in the okay market of Pueblo West, the price to get your lot, to get your plans is so low that there's still a spread to be had. And so that really stuck with me, that concept of quality versus price, you know, an okay asset or market where you can get rock bottom pricing could still be worth pursuing. Absolutely. One well, and the most important thing is is there demand for the yeah, product? Exactly. And in in Pueblo, Colorado, where Dan Dan and I are both in Colorado Springs, so 45 minutes north of Pueblo, there is insane demand. There is tons of businesses that are currently there and currently operating. I don't know all the population statistics, but I know it's a huge healthcare market yep. and so people are always going to be buying, buying homes. And it's just making sure that the product that you're going to be creating is going to be in line with the demographic that's around it, where you're not going to go and on this lot that we're talking about today, you're not going to put a 5,000 square foot luxury home with, you know, high-end finishes. You're going to be doing a spec build, right? So, you know, whenever your, your associated costs, you know, before you actually start, you know, building are cheaper and you know that you can build not a cheap product, but more of a builder grade product. You know, talk to me a little bit about what a builder grade product is, and then let's kind of go in. You know, we've we've got all the paperwork done, we've got all the boring stuff done. Like we're ready to start building this house. Tell tell us uh, tell us what builder grade is, and tell us what the product is, and kind of where we get going from there. And then I think we can kind of back up and really hammer the points home that we started this conversation with, where. You're not going to be shoved, you know, out there with a shovel and a hammer. I've seen you with a hammer. It's it's embarrassing to watch. And I think um, that it's about orchestrating the entire event and creating all of the, fin you know, financing associated with it, you know, and everything. So I know I asked you a couple of questions there, but jump in wherever you're at. Yeah, I said you get your plans done, but I didn't say what those plans are. So I've been building a simple three bed, two bath, two park car garage, 1500 square foot ranch on a six foot crawl space for years and years simple it's easy it's very easy to pump it out um and it is fitting for the market because it's very entry level and i want to be the most entry level new construction on the market so you know builder grade i i'm probably a little bit above that mason i do have um uh, granite countertops going in lvp and i i i do 
see a lot of builder grade pot product going up where they have laminate and all carpet or mostly carpet and or it's not as nice. Uh, but I call it if builder grade's a five out of ten, I'm in a six out of ten. So point B, it's very entry level. It's nice, new, and clean, but it's by no means luxury. That's the point. But but that right there though is so crucial because it doesn't matter what your income bracket is. Buying a home for most people that are not an investor, it's going to be an emotional decision. Yeah. So whenever you go in and you say, Ooh, look at these granite countertops and look at this luxury vinyl uh, planking, you know, the, the LVP, it's just vinyl floor, but you know, I've got it in my house and it works great. It's, you know, scratch resistant, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I think, you know, we, we can talk about it at the end of the multiple exit strategies of, you know, this way, you know, if you kept it as a rental for yourself, you know, you're not going to be replacing stuff constantly, but you know, I, I've seen your spec homes and they're nice. Yeah. They look nice. And so, you know, it, it, it's good to correct me of builder grade is more you go in and it's the linoleum mm -hmm. countertops and the, you know, final flooring, the stick on peel on vinyl flooring and, yep. you know, the cheapest shag rug carpet that you can possibly find. But doing those little extra touches that in the long run or only maybe a couple hundred dollars difference or a few thousand dollars difference, uh, you look at it from a return perspective of, okay, if I spend you know, 5,000 on countertops throughout the house. And that's going to increase the value of the home an extra 7,500 to, you know, $15,000. It's so crucial and it's so necessary. And that three, two home, you know, if you, you hear what people are looking for, you know, it, that's a perfect starter home, you know, whether it's a, a single person that's going to rent out a room or two, or it's a married couple that, you know, wants to use it for an office. I'm in a three bedroom, two bathroom house myself. Um, or, you know, it's a family getting started where you could have an office or, you know, have, have a nursery and that kind of thing. So it's a perfect product that is always going to be in demand forever. Sure. Sure. So the next big important thing we need to talk about, and you would have done this at a time, but is, is selecting your general contractor. And this guys, if you do this right or wrong, this will make or break you. And we can talk about that a little bit more later as far as when I've done it wrong, but it's essential to set really clear expectations with them as to who is doing what and when, when funds are going to be dispersed, so on and so forth. But even before all that, you need to really screen the person. So are they building a product similar to what you want to produce in the market you're in? And have they been doing that for a while? What's their reputation like? Do they have good reviews online? Do they seem to be highly referred from both clients and subs? and vendors. Um, these are all important things to check on. And ideally, you want to find somebody that someone you know and trust is using successfully. That has really worked for me. But you cannot, you can, but it is hard to spend too much time screening your GC. This is everything. Because if you do this right, the whole process is simple and easy. If you do it wrong, it can certainly become a nightmare. I've watched that happen to friends of mine. Um, so sit down with them. Dan, yeah. Dan, what what's one or two green flags for a GC, and what's one or two red flags for a GC? Green flag uh, number one: they've been building consistently in that market for a long time, and they're still in business, and they still have a good reputation. Number two: they'll provide you with a breakdown, a thorough cost breakdown of all their expenses on their builds, and they'll give you a thorough projection on what you want to build. Um, if they're just trying to give you a one bulk price 
right? If they're new to the market, these are things to watch out for. Of course, everyone's new at some point, but I don't want to be the first test. Um, so those are two green flags. Red flags, uh, gosh, they, well, I hit on one already. They won't give you a thorough breakdown and are just saying, you know, oh, it'll be X, right? They're probably trying to squeeze you there. Um, and if you just can't, if they're just not experienced, that that's another one. I want someone who's been doing this a long time in the market I'm in. Um, of course, if there's any bad reviews you're finding too, that would be another obvious one. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. I mean, it's just like hiring an employee for your business. And that's what they are is uh, you need to have um, an appropriate working relationship with them. You know, a lot of GCs, depending on who the people that they're working with are going to respond differently, whether you're the retail client or you're the investor client. And, you know, it's it's very basic what you're asking for. You're asking for, you know, fair and reasonable price. Uh, you're asking for a detailed schedule with associated costs and uh, to communicate along along the way. You know, I think, you know, you can see the red flags. I've seen them as I've interviewed GCs for my own projects where, you know, if they want 50% of the project costs up front, run. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I have too many horror stories that I've heard from friends that where they will do that. And then that GC uh, goes and buys a cabana in Aruba and is never seen from ever again. And uh, you don't want to deal with that. So um, I, I think those are exactly like you said, you can never spend too much time screening a GC. Uh, it's it's a good old boy business yes. too. So you can, you can find from word of mouth uh, probably the best general contractors that you can get where um, sometimes maybe they don't have a big online presence, but you can go around in the community that you're spending time in and investing in and talk to people and just say, Hey, do you know, you know, Bob with, you know, Colorado contracting company, um, and people can say run for the Hills or yeah, they're amazing. They built these homes and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it can never spend enough time hiring someone important for you in your business. So, Especially in these small towns, I will say if you're getting very different quotes, it could very well be that neither person's lying to you. I mean, they, one could be marking things up, trying to pad the books, but you know, you said it's a good old boys business and that is especially true in small towns. I have seen this where certain established GCs have all their subs giving them better rates, have all their vendors giving them better rates and are getting much better deals and can build much more cheaply, ultimately. Um, but a couple more points I wanted to make there. So how do you set up the arrangement? How do you make this valuable for the general contractor? And then also set expectations around uh, who's doing what? And so I've done this a couple of ways. The first way I ever did it was three, four, or 2019, so four years ago when uh, at least in Pueblo West, the market was pretty just steady. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't slow. It was in the middle and there weren't a lot of people building. And so we'd buy a pool of lots. We'd mark them, market them for sale. People would come and say, Hey, can I buy that? Well, no, you can't buy just a lot, but if you want us to put the home on it, we can talk. And so via that method, we would get pre-sale selling the simple three bed, two bath I talked about earlier. And the appeal for the contractor who was great at building, who had been building there since the seventies. Uh, was he liked the vertical, he was good at it. And so he said, hey, you bring the pre-sale, you finance the land and the construction, and then you stay away and I'll build it. And that was great. 50-50 profit split. We put in everything it cost, and that was an awesome system. And so 
that's one way to do it. He got old, retired, didn't really want to take on any more. So a couple years ago, switched to a different contractor. And this was a good arrangement because he was building for me. He was doing rehabs for one of my friends. He was building for two other friends in my network. And so that really created a lot of accountability when the majority of his clients know each other. And so with him, it wasn't a profit split because I, I will say going back to the profit split arrangement, he was very incentivized to do a good job, to get it done quickly because, hey, if it takes longer and our, our interest rate or interest cost goes up, that's coming out of his end too. Um, and so he was well incentivized to do well. Now with the newer GC, he just gets paid a set fee. But again, he's building for a bunch of people in the same network and that's pretty much all his business. So there's certainly a, a incentive for him to do good by each and every one of us because otherwise he could lose all of us. And so that arrangement was set up similarly, but I didn't do as good of a job as setting expectations of who's doing what. So there have been little things where we kicked, or I kicked myself, I'll blame it on me, kind of kicked myself in the teeth where, oh shoot, the contractor didn't order the ILC or call the gas company to put on the meter or little things like that. So guys, learn from my mistakes and make sure that every single thing that is going to need done is talked about or Maybe it's like the first contractor uh, arrangement I referenced where he said, no, I want to do everything from beginning to end. That's great. If you can get that, maybe they want you to go, you know, the, do most of the paperwork to help get the permit. And then from there, they do all the vertical. It, it just depends on the contractor. But uh, you need to establish that ahead of time uh, and it'll make your life much, much easier. And you won't miss things like I have. I think that's all just one after another gold nuggets because the GC is they're who makes you in this business because with a, a GC that isn't going to do everything that you say and um, you know meet all the obligations and requirements that you previously outlined at the beginning of the contract whenever you go under contract, I mean, that's how you either uh, make it or break it in this business. And I think uh, to, to dive in more, and I know this is where we're going next, and I, I think this is probably one of the the biggest barriers to entry in doing this. Dan, I don't care if $175,000 in cash from land development and everything to build a spec home that I can sell for $80,000 more works. I don't have $175,000 in cash. How do you finance these? Great question. So there's a couple ways to go about it. There are hard money lenders, and the implication there is hard money is easier to get, less requirements, but more expensive and generally shorter time frames. There are traditional lenders, so like your local credit union or bank, you know, your local or regional bank, who they usually require the land purchased outright and 20% down. The hard money lenders often just require the land bought outright, and they'll finance 100% of the construction, assuming there's a margin. And then, of course, there's private lenders where if you have someone to lend you the money, you can create whatever arrangement you want. So I, even though I could go the route of traditional banks or local banks, they are so tedious and slow and difficult. I would rather just pay more and use a hard money lender. So that's how I've done it in the last couple years. When I first started doing this and the economic climate was a little more stable, there was a local bank that was financing the pre-sales and keyword there being pre-sales, 100% with the land purchased outright. So that was great because super low interest rates, just having paid for the land. So it's worth talking to your local bank, seeing what they might offer you, especially if you have a big enough spread, right? The more safety, the more cushion there is in there, the more willing they are to, to potentially take a lower down payment. But the 
best route if you're optimizing for least cash out of pocket is to just go to a hard money lender. Uh, so that's what I've been doing because it's so much easier to get the draws done and, and just get the whole thing done. Well, and I, I think what people get uh, afraid of, you know, they hear hard money and they see the interest rates and they compare them to what the market interest rates are. And to to you and to me and to the sophisticated investor, all of this is based on our return on investment and what the, you know, and you can use so many metrics for it, you know, when you're building out a pro forma, whether you're using IRR, which is what's most, most typical um, on a three to five year project or something like this, where you can just, you can look at what your cash on cash return is, but even those those costs associated with a hard money lender or a private lender, um, private lender can honestly be the cheapest, um, is what I've found. If you have good relationships and good, you know, friends friends and families that have access to capital that are willing to lend it out at a rate that's greater than what they're making in their savings account, but the way to think about it is, if your cost for you know the money on, let's say, uh, how, how long does a spec build project talk uh, take from where we you know, we, we buy the land and to whenever the product is finished, uh, let's say it's summer in Colorado and you've, you've got all of your boxes hit. How long does it take? So the word you're looking for to indicate you're done is the CO or certificate of occupancy being issued by the building mm-hmm. department. And, uh, from closing the land to getting the CO, if you're really pushing, I mean, I, I've done it in six months. I, I have friends with in-house construction crews doing it even faster than that. But a lot of times it might be more like the eight or nine month range. Perfect. Let, let's use that six month month example because we're bad at math. Where even if your cost of money is greater than what it would have been for, rather than using a you know traditional financing method like a bank, you are not putting as much cash out of pocket, so you're able to keep that capital at work and whatever other businesses or investment strategies that you're using. But two, whenever you have to add the time that it would take to deal with a bank to get all the lending approvals and to have them run through potentially you know your personal personal financial statement and make sure you're actually lendable and doing more and more and more paperwork where people like us do we don't do paperwork it's it's too much it's too exhausting and you know you start working with these hard money lenders that are able to close and fund a deal in hours sometimes whenever you have good relationships and if the numbers make sense um, or a couple days as versus uh, potentially several weeks and making sure the bank can get back to you. So uh, from a return perspective, even though the cost of money might be a little bit higher, the reduction in waste of time and frustration, I think makes it absolutely worth it. And just the fact that you have less of your own cash out of pocket and in the deal, you know, I think it makes it worth it too. But what, what are some of the cons be, besides the cost of money associated with a hard money lender? Uh, really, it's just the cost. I mean, other than that, it's a little bit shorter. So, for example, the hard money lender I use, generally it's a nine-month loan that it comes due. And then going through that bank I referenced, they were 12 months. So a little bit shorter, but uh, that's about it, cost and time frame. There we go. Yep. Yeah, totally makes sense to me. Yep. You know, we we all want to be able to scale. You know, we talk about economies of scale a lot here and um, that that's what this does because as you develop a relationship with your lender, you're able to start potentially getting more favorable rates. You're starting to get to do more deals. You're able to put your own cash into other stuff, you know, and it's the same thing kind of that we touched on with the general contractor. When you have a great relationship with them and 
you're doing a lot of deals with them and you are referring them, they don't even have to worry about generating their own leads because they're doing a good job and getting word of mouth referrals. And that's what so much of this business is where, you know, it's a good old boys business. And I don't mean that, you know, in a male dominated way, but I mean it in a, you know, we're kind of a, you know, draw up the contract and then operate as if we did it on the back of a napkin and a handshake deal. And that'll get you so much more business, but let's keep going into the the actual building process. And, you know, we, we want to keep it high level. Um, I know a lot of people don't care about all the steps it takes from, you know, digging out the foundation to putting the last shingle on the last roof. And I don't even know what order it goes in, man, because I don't do this stuff, but uh, kind of walk us through, give us the, the 90 second process of actually getting a home built. Yep. So the very general high level view of this is quite simple, but you got your permit, assuming all of that is done and you're, you're allowed to go start. You got to excavate, you got to pour the foundation. And then once you have that, that's set, uh, you want to start framing, you frame up the house and then you have all your subs come in and do all the rough infrastructure, right? You got to put in the, uh, electric water, water lines, sewer lines, uh, HVAC. Uh, so each of those separate subs, generally they do that. And there's of course work being done on the outside. Usually around that time, that's when the water and sewer taps are done. Call the electric company, call the gas company, get all those taps going. But after all the rough infrastructure is into that framed house, right? You can drywall it in tape and texture, and then the subs come in and do all the finishes, right? The electrician and the HVAC and the plumber have to put on you know, all the caps and light switches and so on and so forth, all the appliances, all the finishes, floor, paint, you know, everything that finishes out the house kind of comes next along with the stucco, which is several layers and a little bit of a process on the outside of the house, the shingles. Uh, there's a post we put up in the front, all of that sort of stuff. And then as you're really finishing, you know, the gas company just put a meter on one of ours this week along with the electric company. So, that's a really general overview, very, very general overview of the process. But you dig the hole, you put in the concrete, you put up the sticks, the infrastructure, you cover up the sticks and infrastructure with the drywall, and then roof, stucco, finishes, and get your certificate of occupancy. There's a bunch of inspections and so on and so forth that take place to actually get that. I love it. I love it. I, I now know how to build a house from start to finish. I think I could go do it myself. Yes. But what I care about is the numbers. Walk us through. Um, I don't want to hear about your worst deals. I want to hear what your best favorite, if you could build every aspect, if you could build out a full business doing just this, give us your best deal that you've done on a spec build. Sure. So, I, you know, honestly, there's one I'm losing money on right now. But other than that, uh, they've been really consistent where it's somewhere between like 40 and 60. Uh, so I'll use Cabaret as an example. And, and what, one more point I want to make, guys. The reason we were flipping about the construction process, because that's not my job. I need to understand it. I need to be able to check and make sure things look right and double check my GC. But if you hire the right person, you screen them properly, and you set expectations properly, you don't need to know all the little details involved in that. So that's why we spent such little time there. Um, so to answer your question, you know, there's one 730 East Cabaret Drive. I bought this lot. I want to say November 2021, right when the city was coming in and paving that street because there was a larger development going in around it. And they were all 400 plus, those houses in the larger development or uh, houses going up. And so I thought, great, 
new newly paved street, I'll do my slightly less expensive 322. And so started construction, I think January 2022, we started to dig. And that came to fruition in July. I think we closed that July the 3rd or 2nd. It was right before the 4th. I think I made 57000 on that one. And the reason that that is so significant, guys, is because my land business, right? My acquisition manager bought that lot. My designer already had the plans. My engineer just had to do the foundation work. My contractor went and got the permit. I was involved in some of the getting the, you know, calling the utility companies, that sort of thing. But I mean, I spent less than 10 hours on that. It made 57 grand. So, and how much of your own money did you put into that deal and how did you finance it? Oh, sure. So I just bought the lot. I think we got that lot at 16 or 17. And then um, I paid for the soft costs. So the plans, the engineering, so all in, including then the interest as the loan, you know, the loan interest every month, I think I was 23 or 24 into that, funded it through a local hard money lender that I've used for years. So 24, maybe 25 grand all in, consoled it. 25 grand in, mm -hmm. all in, and you more than doubled your money on that investment. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And to be clear, guys, if, if you're the contractor and you're doing the work, you can make a lot more than that. I mean, I, I know people making six figures on every house because they don't have a contractor. They're not paying them a fee. Everything goes in at cost, right? So that's me operating just as an investor making that. I love it. I love it. And and it's so practical. And it's it, it goes back to what we said on a previous episode of why we invest in land is because there are so many exit strategies that you can do with it. You know, if you got that lot at 16000 what was that dirt worth right there if you had just sold it? Oh, 3830 Yeah. Yep. 2830 So you could have made, you know, uh, you know, after associated closing costs and realtor commission and everything like that, you could have made ten grand. But beyond that, you know, so you added enough value so where you could have six X'd what your your actual projected profit if you had done nothing is over a six month period of time. But more importantly, being able to do that and being able to manage the systems associated with it, you know, you're you're the type of person where I guarantee you you have a standard operating procedure of the checklist associated from uh, getting the lot under contract and doing all your due diligence all the way to whenever you get your certificate of occupancy to sell the home. And, you know, the worst thing that happens is at any point in that time, since you got the instant equity from purchasing the land at a discount, you could sell it and make money. Or the worst thing that happens, and I know you've lost money on a new construction before, and that's fine. Everyone loses money on deals, but you hold it as a rental, Yep. you know, and, and that, that deal that you had, you know, we, we don't have to get into all the specifics of it, but that would have been a great rental property that people could have used and the depreciation would have offset it. And then there would be no loss uh, associated other than the loss on paper. And um, that's, what's so great about getting in and building, building spec houses, because you can, you can build them cheap. Um, you learn the processes associated with it and you can have whatever level of involvement that you want to have, and then you can sell it for more. And that's all we do in this business is we buy stuff for for cheap, sell it for more, and we can add value to sell it for even much money. Yep. Nope. That's a, a great way of saying it. All right, Dan, is there anything else you want to add to this today? Anything you want to leave people with? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the main thing is whether or not this turns out well is whether or not you hired a good GC. And that's the main point I want to make. Heck yeah. I love it. I love it. 
we walked through all of it. I mean, each of each section of this could be its own show, but Dan, um, it was fun getting to interview you today. Like I said, it's Mason McDonald with RM Golden, Dan Haverkost with Front Range Land. Uh, we'll see you all next time. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.